But what's a little different about what we do is, and why we do it, of course, is that it's founded in this idea that for so many of us, we get to this place in our careers where we're thinking, oh no, I thought that when I got here, everything would be great. Or I'm finally making X amount and I'm unhappy. Or for whatever reasons, I got laid off and I just really don't know how to redefine myself or even get back into the game. So if any of those resonate, I hope that you continue listening because this is for you. The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. So this is a different kind of episode. I'm going to try something new and eat my own dog food and get myself really uncomfortable. And so we're calling this episode, I haven't really come up with a perfect name yet, but the whole point of this is to talk about the mission of Portfolio Rocket and backtrack a little bit to give you some origin story and understand how this all came about. So I'm going to start with the mission of Portfolio Rocket so that you guys have a benchmark and then I'm going to flip backwards and then we'll wrap it up and I'll give you some highlights. So first thing to know is today I am the founder, Lauren Greif. I am am the founder of Portfolio Rocket. It's a career consultancy that deconstructs the career transition process for executives and C-suiters so that they can achieve more faster. And so let's just face it, I'm not the first person or the last that has a career consultancy that works with executives and C-suiters. But what's a little different about what we do is, and why we do it, of course, is that it's founded in this idea that for so many of us, we get to this place in our careers where we're thinking, oh no, I thought that when I got here, everything would be great. Or I'm finally making X amount and I'm unhappy. Or for whatever reasons, I got laid off and I just really don't know how to redefine myself or even get back into the game. So if any of those resonate, I hope that you continue listening because this is for you. Because I have been there and I have walked many of these same roads along with you. So now that you've, we've established what the mission is and why we're doing what we're doing in the first place, right? Because the why 
is really a signal that says, where's your story? So if you know anything about Simon Sinek and you know about the truism about how people buy why you do what you do, not what you do, you already know that storytelling plays a big, big, big part in your job search. Because if you're just signing up and have no understanding of why you're doing it in the first place, there's a very slim chance that you're going to end up feeling happy and fulfilled. And so that's always the mission with us is to be in a situation where you are skiffing to work on Monday and still by the end of the week. So I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to where I was when this whole thing really started. And like so many of us, it's important to recognize that we all come from a certain background, a certain place. And the place for me where I started was right outside of Boston proper in a town called Newton, Mass. And Newton, eh, it's a pretty upwardly mobile place and everybody is seemingly very successful, which is part of the blessing and the curse. Because growing up in that town and growing up in Boston per se is a little bit complicated because your identity is almost inextricably linked with your degree. So you are your degree. There are so many colleges. I mean, I've almost lost count in that New England area, certainly in Massachusetts. But let's just say I was not a great student. I was a good student, probably a solid B, but not a great student. And that was exacerbated, that that idea that I wasn't a great student was also really amplified by the fact that my dad, who was a doctor at the time, was also a teacher at the Harvard Business School. And periodically I'd go pick him up after work and all these prepsters be on this gorgeous Ivy League campus walking around with their books and... I mean, I was just waiting for him, but even still, there was that pit in my stomach that planted the seed that somehow, some way, you know, I was never going to be all that on a piece of paper. And I was never going to have that kind of degree. And I was right about that. (laughs) So there was a lot of pressure on academic achievement. And today I understand that academic achievement, while very, very important, and it's always great to have an education, is not necessarily the winning formula to be landing opportunities, especially as you get more and more senior, where many people have fine degrees and the right pedigree. So I didn't get into Harvard. I didn't get into half the schools that I applied to. But I did get into a pretty good school, and I went there, and when I got there, something really good happened, which was I was in an environment where I could exercise a level of creativity because it was a pretty artsy school, and it still is. And so I got really, really invested in all the things that I loved, which was learning about art history and 
making things in a jewelry studio with a blowtorch and, you know, exercising some really fun and creative ways to express myself within an academic environment. It was a good place. And after I left, what did I do? Beeline to New York City. And I'll tell you, that's really where I came alive. I just knew. I knew, and this time I was right, (laughs) that once I got there, all that stimulation, the energy, the (laughs) multicultural environment was going to be a place where I could thrive. I had also figured out by this point that I had a bit of a winning formula, at least in my head. And it said, do something creative and also align it with something that's relatively practical, like business. And so, no surprise, I ended up in advertising. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be just the greatest career ever. And it wasn't exactly... Uh, an endorsed decision by by my family who I think had other expectations for me and doing something a little tamer. Back in the 80s, the advertising world, while maybe not exactly like the way that it's portrayed in Mad Men, had a lot of similarities. And it was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that really spoke to me. I thought that was wonderful. So here I am at this ginormous advertising agency and I had worked my way up and finally, it's kind of like my big dream. What made it a better dream was that it was filled with crazies. And I love me a good crazy. One crazy was this guy named Richard. I'll never forget him. He was amazing. He's a brilliant copywriter who also had a horrible temper. And instead of letting everybody know that his temper was being activated, he would just bang on the keys of his piano. And that was the cue that said, stay away. Another creative director down the hall, Larry, had his brand of crazy, which was to ensure that you did not knock on his door or schedule any meetings before 11 o'clock Because that was the time that he ate his Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries. And so he had a good boundary all around his cereal. And I actually thought that that was brilliant because we all respected that. And it said to me, you know what? There are are different ways of working in the world. And uh, there's also a lot of personalities. I did really well at that agency. And I loved it. I just loved it. I worked late. I had a ton of opportunity and responsibility. And I thought that that was kind of like where I was going to be forever and ever and ever and ever. Until I had a child. And like so many working parents out there, we find that the demands of the job that we signed up for have to change because we make another commitment. And I knew, I knew right then and there that there was no way that I could keep up the pace 
of those long nights and doses of crazy and be able to show up for my family. And so sadly, we made a decision, my ex-husband and I at the time made a decision to leave New York and move to Chicago. And I traded in my big city life for this thing called the Burbs. And by the time I got there, I just felt like I was in a foreign country. I hadn't driven a car in 25 years. I was absolutely and completely clueless about moving around in, in the suburbs and, and making play dates and doing any of those things. It was foreign territory. Not to mention that I took a job working in-house at a large financial services company. It was awful. I mean, it was really just not a good fit. Cubicles, lineups in the parking lot, cafeterias, just all the things that signaled boring to me. And I would go to work and I would punch in and, and just literally watch the clock until I could leave. I mean, they were so fixated on how productive you were that they would literally measure the time that you were away from your desk and you had to go to the bathroom. From time to time, I would ask myself, why are they questioning how productive a pee is? That was just insane. At the same time, my marriage was breaking up and I found a new level of pressure and I couldn't leave because that was the way that I could support my family. And I became a single mom and I did what I had to do for however long I had to do it. It was painful. I was also suffering from a tremendous amount of anxiety. I mean, the kind of anxiety that once I would leave the driveway, I'd make it past a couple traffic lights, and then I'd have to pull over and throw up out the side of the car door. It was just eating at me, and I just was scared and nervous and had no idea how I was ever going to be able to do everything, right? all the pressures of home and carrying my fi the financial burden of my, of my house and my family. Eventually, we parted ways. Let's just say they weren't too happy to, to see me go. They weren't too unhappy to see me go. They were certainly ready, and I felt the same way. And for a long, long, long time, I did what I refer to as the queen theme, which is the song from Queen. Another one bites the dust, another one bites the dust, and another one down, and another one down. You know that song. Well, that's what I was thinking. How is this ever going to end? How is this spiral, this circle, this kind of bouncing from one thing to the other going to ever find its rightful home? A funny thing happened not, not too long after I had been bouncing around for a while. I ended up getting a call from a friend, and 
he said this crazy thing to me. He said, you know, there's an opening at this recruiting firm and I have a feeling that you would be a great recruiter. And we work with a lot of creatives and marketing people. And I think that this might be a, a position that you would really, really thrive in. And he was right. <laughs> I ended up getting that job right away and stayed there for a while and loved it. And then moved to another firm and stayed there for a while. And then went to another firm and stayed there for a while. And then I said to myself, you know what? Don't get, get too complacent. Let's try something that would really, really stretch your capabilities. So I went to the largest, probably worldwide executive recruiting firm. And let me tell you, if I had a banner, it would have said, you have arrived. And I got there and it was pretty cool stuff learning a completely different level, a completely different skill set within the areas of recruiting. And we worked with the top firms and it was amazing. It was pretty corporate, but I still was thriving because I was able to exercise a craft that I had developed. About nine, 10 months into this, I realized something. I realized this kind of, I had, I guess you call it a wake up call, right? That's like the most, the easiest way to describe it. I'll bring you there. I'd been working with this guy. His name was Danny. And Danny was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant chief marketing officer. He had come from a big, big brand. Let's just call it the biggest sneaker brand you could ever imagine. And Danny was incredible. What ended up happening was he didn't get hired. For whatever reasons, the decision makers on the client side decided that he wasn't after, I don't know, maybe eight, nine rounds of interviews that they had a different candidate in mind. And I had to tell Danny, hey, by the way, we're really sorry that this didn't work out. They've hired somebody else. And in that moment, I realized something that was going to change the trajectory of, of everything from that point on, which was, Certainly, I could tell Danny that he wasn't going to get the job, but what left me so lost was what could I tell him so that he was empowered to do something next for himself? I felt like I was kicking him down and then not even giving him a hand to stand up again. Like he had to go back to his family and his friends. He didn't have other opportunities at the time. And I wasn't able to offer him much recourse. The best I could say to him was, we'll put you back in the database. And that felt cruel 
and empty. And it got me really sad. I think it was about a week later that I went in and I resigned and I quit. And I quit because what I saw, I couldn't unsee. And at this point, I had been seeing it a lot. It wasn't Danny's fault. He was every bit the candidate that they wanted. But the hiring process and the broken system is unforgiving. And there's too many variables that have nothing to do with the candidates themselves but a lot of opportunities for the candidates to actually be able to understand how they can position themselves and how they can protect themselves from the outside circumstances that happen every single day. I do not need to tell you how broken the system is. If you've been on the market for any period of time, you've gone through your share of ghosting or discovered that there's a a whiff of ageism in the air that you're not going to be able to suss out or vent out. There are too many things that are out of your control. But the good news is there are a lot of things in your control. And so on a Monday, I decided I was out. I was going to quit. I was scared. But what I realized was that I could not be a part of something that I knew was broken unless I was going to be willing to provide a solution. I want to put this in perspective because there's no way I'm proposing that I'm going to be able to change the system by myself. And I know that that's a insane thought. But what I do know is that what's happening at Portfolio Rocket and what we're doing, it works. And we see our clients time and time and time again go through multiple transformations in their confidence, in their ability to see where opportunities are that are not necessarily attached to an open job and go through that whole rigmarole of that broken system. They're building relationships and creating pipelines of opportunities to feed them today and tomorrow and all the way through for the rest of their careers after they leave corporate even and enter into opportunities that can lead to board positions. What we do, we do because we love it, because It's exciting to dismantle something that's broken and offer something in its place that is efficient and effective. I'll read you the mission again because I think it's important to hear it. Why I do what I do and why Portfolio Rocket exists is to deconstruct the career transition process for executives and C-suiters so that they can achieve higher earnings faster. Higher earnings, more specifically what we do, yields on average a 40 to 70% increase to their base compensation. And when I say faster, I mean faster. Most executive search are noted 
to be at least a year. We're talking six months, so oftentimes in half. If you and I have the chance to meet, I would be excited to hear about how it is that you do what you do and where your mission and your why is. What I also want to share with you is thank you for everything and all the support because in my day-to-day, I get to give away what has been so valuable to me as a, a, a woman who is dedicated to offering peace, solution, fulfillment, and meaning to life. You're going to spend a third of your life working. I just hope that you find it and enjoy it and love it and give it away with reckless abandon and to the point where other people can value and benefit from it. I want to thank you for listening and for all the listeners who've been so generous about all the reviews and ratings. We're over 90 at this point. It's pretty exciting. We're doing our darndest to grow this podcast. So if you had any warm fuzzies or other feelings during this podcast, please go ahead and share them in your review. And until then, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you on LinkedIn or as you continue to listen to these other episodes. Thanks for everything and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.